Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis. And this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast, the world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Hello everyone and welcome to the Mariner's Mirror podcast. This week we are exploring the quite brilliant history of mermaids and sirens and this is the second episode. In episode one, Irwin Aboli Watson explored how mermaids and sirens are figures of indeterminate gender in the art and poetry of the late Victorian era and how these figures may still be used as symbols for transgender and non-binary communities today. Now, in this episode, we're looking at one particular example of a so-called mermaid that was actually discovered. This is the Fiji mermaid that was found in Japan in 1822, purchased by a collector and displayed in London to the grotesque fascination of thousands of people. It's one hell of a story. And to do it justice, you really need to know what the Fiji mermaid looked like. So I'll urge you all to find the Mariner's Mirror podcast on social media and take a look yourself. You may be scared, you will almost certainly feel a little bit sick. But best leave it to someone who actually saw it in person. This is from the greatest showman himself, P.T. Barnum. He saw it and he said that it was an ugly, dried-up, black-looking, diminutive specimen, about three feet long. Its mouth was open, its tail turned over, its arms thrown up, giving it the appearance of having died in great agony. What on earth is going on, I hear you all cry. Well, to find out more, I spoke with the excellent Beatrice Laurent, Professor of Victorian Studies at the University of Bordeaux-Montagne in France. A pre-Raphaelite scholar, she has edited a volume of essays on William Morris's News from Nowhere, 2004, and written La Peinture Anglaise, as well as numerous book chapters and articles in refereed journals. In her books Provence and the British Imagination, Sleeping Beauty, in Victorian Britain, cultural, literary and artistic explorations of a myth and water and women in the Victorian imagination. She explores the interaction between visual art and theoretical discourses. Her broader field of research deals with the conceptual overlap between art, literature, science and society, particularly in Victorian Britain. As ever, I hope you enjoy listening to her as much as I enjoy talking with her. Here is Beatrice. Beatrice. 
Beer, thank you very much indeed for joining me today. Oh, thank you, Sam, for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here on your wonderful blog. <laughs> um, I've always been fascinated by this history of mermaids. And the, the, I suppose the first question that I've always wanted to ask is, why did people believe in mermaids? I think they believed in them because they wanted to. Because they, the mermaids, in a way, filled their horizons of expectations. They expected to, to see mermaids and to prove to themselves that they had been right all the way, that they did exist. Moreover, there had been um, reports of mermaids being seen everywhere in the globe, in distant countries, distant seas, and um, across a span of time that goes all the way back to antiquity. So it seems uh, that people clung to these pieces of, sort of not real evidence, but at least reported uh, stories to, to believe that uh, they existed. So they, they, they were ready to admit that they existed. And I think it's something that all human beings do, you know, when we... We believe in something. We want to find an evidence that we've been right all the way. <laughs> yeah, it's like everyone was primed. They were ready to actually to see one of these extraordinary, extraordinary mermaids. Um, and then I, once these mermaids started coming on the scene and being exhibited, how did they fit into the existing religious and scientific thought of the time? Because, I mean, it's quite clear to me that... that, that they didn't fit into it, but they, they seemed to kind of make it work somehow. Oh, they did. They did. First of all, they, they had been exhibited from the late 18th century. In fact, there had been quite a few uh, mermaids exhibited. I think about five have been... Uh, yes, I, I read that at least five mermaids had been on show in fairs and exhibition in London in the years 1775 till uh, 1795. That was before the famous Fiji mermaid uh, made her um, show in uh, 1822. Um, They were exhibited because people wanted to see them. They had been trained to see all sorts of uh, uh, things in uh, fairs and uh, shows. But um, you're right, in in the scientific field, uh, they raised considerable questions um, because uh, on the one hand there were um, fixist uh, people such as Linnaeus who wanted to fill the gaps, you know, in the great table of um, uh, taxonomy, and uh, the um, Linnaeus himself had uh, left a blank for the mermaid. He believed that the mermaid existed. So there was a big international inquiry to fill the gap, you know, to find the species that would fit in the square, in the table. Uh, on the other hand, there were um, uh, people who wanted to, to to stress the difference between human and animal species that were not quite ready to uh, embark on the the mermaid hypothesis. But there there were people who were not so sure. And one of them, for example, I've uh, written about him, was uh, Dr. Phillips, uh, Dr. Philip, John Philip, who was uh, a clergyman, but he also wrote uh, to scientific magazines in the early 
It's quite interesting um, for our listeners. Oh, actually, I'll tell you what, let's describe the Fiji mermaid so that people have got a rough idea about what we're talking about. Okay, so it was, uh, in fact, a, a mummified artefact. It was made of uh, the upper part of a monkey, uh, or possibly two monkeys, because there um, there were um, descriptions of it looking like a orangutan and others uh, mentioning a baboon uh, mandibular uh, uh, jaw. And the, the lower half was that of a fish that looked like a, a salmon. Um, so there, there were a very precise description. It was quite small, about um, maybe three feet high. And um, apparently it was much shorter when it was exhibited because the idea was that it shriveled when it was taken out of water and when it, it ah. mummified. So it was quite small and not very attractive, in fact. So I, no, I, I mean, that was my point. It's, um, <laughs> it's, it's unimaginably grotesque. And um, for our listeners, make sure, make sure you listen, uh, you check out Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and TikTok, because we will definitely show you pictures of this mermaid. Um, and it comes back to what I was thinking about earlier. So people know mermaids exist, right? And mm-hmm. they've surely got an idea of them. And I'm assuming, I might be completely wrong, but I'm assuming a mermaid was an attractive female. Yes, and well, what, what they're given here is a is a shriveled, <laughs> grotesque monster. <laughs> Absolutely, yes, all right. Uh, uh, the 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 poets had um, turned the mermaids into these uh, beautiful uh, female creatures, the temptress, you know, the 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 icons of feminine vanity and temptation and uh, seduction. Uh, this is how she was described in poetry and in art. And in fact, what I found also in, um, in some of my research was that there was a proliferation of mermaids in uh, Victorian art. The 19th century is really the period of the, the mermaid, both in literature and in the arts. I think uh, this uh, ties nicely with her resurfacing as a real artefact. <laughs> yeah, and why were the Victorians so interested in in human monsters, human animal crosses, whatever it might be? I'm thinking here of Frankenstein, particularly off yes. the top of my head. Yeah, yeah, you're right, and that's not really the Victorian period. It's right before; it's the beginning of the 19th century, and that's very exciting because we that's a period where um, scientists disagreed considerably. So there, there were all sorts of debates um, because what we now consider as uh, orthodox science didn't really exist. It, it was information. It was in, pro- in, in progress. And uh, there were many discordant voices. Um, some people still believed in this sort of a horizontal chain of beings um, with the idea that species evolved and that there was a process of transmutation from one species to the other. And therefore, the, uh, the mermaid uh, seemed to be the missing link between the aquatic um, animals and then the, the mammal 
species. Uh, this was one of the reasons why it was fascinating. People were looking for the missing links. And they, they were also fascinated by um, new species that uh, uh, had been discovered thanks to explorers and scientists across the globe. And uh, I'm thinking about a, a fascinating book by uh, Harriet Ridfo, the Platypus, the Platypus and the Mermaid. In fact, the Platypus was hardly uh, more or hardly less uh, of a wonder than the mermaid itself, whether it's uh, sort of, uh, you know, the the duck uh, beak and the, the sort of... Ill, uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 very weird animal. So people thought, well, if the platypus exists, why shouldn't mermaid exist? They, uh, both of them are very weird um, creatures after all. The other reason was paleontology, because um, people were discovering, excavating um, um, bones of dinosaurs, and they thought, well, if these fantastic animals existed and then died, maybe mermaids existed and then died if she, they they must have existed in a, a remote past. Maybe there are still a few surviving uh, specimens. So that that was um, some of the ideas that lingered uh, among the the common imagination. So people were ready to to see the the specimens for themselves and make up their own mind and uh, well either to reinforce their own uh, their own hypothesis or maybe to undermine that of their opponents so everybody was interested whether it was to sustain their own uh, ideas or to debunk ideas that they didn't agree with mm. a link with them um- There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70% of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Paleontology is really interesting because it's all to do with perfection, isn't it? So the paleontologists are finding evidence of imperfection. They're finding evidence of huge monsters that once existed but now did not exist, therefore proving that 
God's plan was not necessarily as as accurate as they all thought. And I like the idea about the um, whether I wonder whether this this kind of links together. This it, the the mermaid was almost more proof of imperfection because it was ugly and shriveled. It wasn't this kind of amazing, um, beautiful example of feminine beauty. Absolutely. So to explain that, in fact, I, I can see two ways of um, thinking about it. Either she was uh, the missing link that went back to uh, an earlier age, and this comforted, in a way, the evolutionist uh, or the evolutionary way of reading things, which in fact superposed, and uh, here I'm quoting an idea that has been really um, well explained by Gillian Beer, uh, which superposed the ontology, uh, the ontogeny and the phylogeny. That is, um, the, the way many scientists, including Darwin, uh, looked at uh, evolution was... Um, um, that species evolved pretty much in the large scale as a human being evolved on an individual scale. And, um, for example, a human fetus grows in an aquatic environment. It's imperfect. It has short limbs and doesn't look very engaging until it is formed into a full adult you know, a human specimen of uh, perfection. That's uh, one of the way of uh, seeing things. And the mermaid, in a way, was a, a species in the making. She was feminine imperfection. She showed a, a liminal state of what would become female perfection at a later stage. That was one way of looking at things. The other way was more um, linked to... Uh, uh, the later Darwin, once the tree a metaphor uh, replaced the chain metaphor. So they, in this uh, vision, which was vertical rather than horizontal, the uh, evolution um, went from a, a common ancestor and then branched out into various species. And the mermaid could have been one of these branches that didn't flourish you know that that was just one species that existed and then stopped because it, it was imperfect and left room for uh, more adapted and better fitted species to to grow and develop that was fascinating i love the, the idea of the tree there um we talk about the relationship between women and water more generally, because, you know, in the Victorian period, the, the, the mermaid by no means is the only example of, of women being associated with the, 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 the watery environment, shall I say? Absolutely. That's uh, the point I tried to make in uh, one of my latest books. And um, I think it, uh, it served everybody's purpose, really, to uh, make, in a way, the woman a watery creature. So the, the mermaid fits into this, um, into this discourse, which was a, a cultural uh, myth. But, of course, as we know, uh, culture is made um, through systems of interworking myths, 
this is a very Baltesian uh, way of looking at things, but I believe that in 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 what Barthes wrote, and I think he was very clever. So uh, if uh, we looked at uh, if we look at these interworked systems of um, of signs, the um, mermaid is. Um, part of a, a, a whole conceptual cluster that uh, equates women with water. Uh, and she's uh, one amongst many watery women. And in my book, for example, I talk about Undine and Sabrina, Musidora, Ophelia, and the Siren, and many other sort of uh, liquid <laughs> women which are associated to the water element. Um, here again, this has to do with what we said earlier about ontogeny and phylogeny, because if um, on, in the geological formation of the earth, water was created before the, uh, the land, it means that the water woman was pre-existing. She, and in a way, she was a liminal form of Humanity. She she was a, a, an imperfect specimen that had to wait until she moved out on solid ground to become a fully human. Um, she's associated also with um, this unfinished state of uh, humanity. Uh, for example, I'm thinking about Kingsley's Water Babies. You know, uh, so the sea is the not only linked to uh, ideas of uh, fecundity and uh, maternity, which makes sense in the, in the in Kingsley's tale, but also um, with uh, the primeval element and also with the unpredictability of the uh, uh, female temperament, but also with the uh, maybe violence of the seas and the ocean as well. So it is very polyformous as a myth, and I think it, it serves um, many uh, Victorian assumptions about uh, femininity. Yeah. Mm. Let's go back to the embodiment of this, the discovery. Who found the Fiji mermaid? Ah, that's a <laughs> fascinating story. So the, the person who found it, at least the, the one that was exhibited in 1822 in London, was uh, Captain uh, Edis. And um, he had apparently bought it from a Japanese uh, fisherman or Japanese uh, sailor. Uh, this uh, Captain... Um, was uh, apparently an American uh, sea captain called uh, Samuel Barrett Edis, and um, he bought it for a considerable amount of money, a, a huge sum uh, at that time. And uh, in order to be able to purchase this um, mermaid, he had to sell the ship. Now, the problem was that the, the, he had to the, sell the, his he, ship, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. yeah. Uh, he bought it for the standing sum of uh, 6,000 Spanish dollars. At the time, it was a huge sum of money. The problem was that the ship didn't wholly belong to him. He only owned a part of the ship. And that's when the, the, the whole story uh, it becomes totally amusing because, um, well, so he, he, he purchased this, um, this mermaid 
and then decided to uh, to take it um, to Europe. But uh, he he went first to uh, to Africa. He stopped in South Africa, and that's uh, where it was first exhibited in Cape Town. And then when it, it arrived in London. And um, as um, was the customs uh, at the time, and still is, when you bring in something from a foreign country, it has to go through customs. So it was left in the customs office for quite a while, and people were not sure what to <laughs> I do love with that. it. <laughs> no, who's, who's got the form for the mermaids? Who's yes, got, exactly. <laughs> yeah, who, who can sign this off? <laughs> they didn't really know what to do with it because nobody um, had the expertise in that sort of uh, <laughs> artefact. <laughs> so they, they decided to ask uh, the authority at the time. They asked um, um, the people at, um, uh, at the museum and um, uh, what's his name I can't remember well anyway the authority uh, couldn't come and inspect the the specimen so he sent his um, uh, uh, his help uh, to have a look at the the mermaid and the the man said no this is not an authentic mermaid you know it's a fake and uh, that's how it got out of customs because uh, people said, well, I it's, see, uh, it's not know, a mermaid. No, it's not <laughs> a mermaid. You know, it's just uh, an exhibition. It's an artifact. So it's a piece mm. of art. So I love that. And uh, yet it gets to London where everyone believes that it is a mermaid. Yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> the, the officer who saw it and said, no, it's not a mermaid, uh, was asked not to, to talk too much about it. Anyway, you didn't see the point, you know. There, there were all sorts of weird things being exhibited. So, you know, if uh, that amused people, why not? He didn't take it seriously at all. Uh, but then there, many people went to see it, actually believed it was true. Even uh, scientists. Uh, so it was exhibited um, at the end of, um, of the summer of 1822. It was uh, only exposed as a fake um, uh, by the end of the year. So we had a, a few months of uh, real celebrity where uh, a lot of people thronged to the, the coffee house where it was exhibited. Uh, and uh, funnily enough, the the end of the show came because Captain Edis uh, had made a lot of money with his uh, forgery, and uh, somebody heard about that, uh, the, and that was the man uh, who originally owned the ship that had been sold in order to right. purchase and the, the guy said well how come you know the guy is making so much money on my back out of uh, the, yeah. the ship that is stolen from me so he sued Edith and mm. that's uh, when the, the the mermaid was exposed as a, a fake in December of uh, 1822 <laughs> it's a it, oh, it's a fantastic story. I mean, the whole thing's a fantastic story, but I didn't know that this guy sold his boat. <laughs> I wonder how he got back from Japan as well. Um, it also makes me wonder. I mean, I do. I hugely enjoy going to exhibitions uh, in London, but it, it does make me slightly lament this this period of the past where where people were genuinely. Um, display something that was untrue and claim it was true. That doesn't happen anymore. It's a real shame. No, no, no. Even Damien Hirst wouldn't claim anything like that. You know, he 
exhibits things, but it's art and yeah. doesn't pretend to be anything else. <laughs> no, that's the whole point. That's the whole point. It's the um, it's the kind of the conscious, uh, you know, um, pulling the wool over people's eyes. Mm. The uh, and and it all being okay and everyone either either um, being entirely credulous or not minding someone having a bit of a tease. It seems like um, it was all a bit more light-hearted back then. Yeah, it certainly was a lot more light-hearted, as you say, but uh, I, I think people genuinely didn't really know what to make of it. They, they weren't sure one way or the other, so just in case, you know, better not to, better be not too assertive. Uh, one way or the other. Well, yeah. listen, it's a, it, it's, um, it's a wonderful story, and thank you very much indeed for sharing it with me today. Well, thank you very much, Sam. Thank you, and have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you all so much for listening. Please check out the Mariner's Mirror podcast on YouTube. Don't just listen to the podcast. See what amazing videos we've been creating. There's some truly magnificent and innovative stuff there, not least the quite brilliant new films on the world's best ship models filmed with the latest camera equipment. Now, this podcast comes from both Lloyd's Register Foundation and the Society for Nautical Research. So do please take the time to check out everything that both of those wonderful institutions have been up to. You can find the Lloyd's Register Foundation's History Centre and Archive at hec.lrfoundation.org.uk and the Society for Nautical Research at snr.org.uk, where you can join up to enjoy all of the numerous perks of membership, including four copies of the printed Mariner's Mirror Journal every year online access to over a century's worth of maritime historical scholarship, online seminars, and you can even come to dinner on board HMS Victory. What a treat.